failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Welcome to this special edition of Century of Lies. Our good friend, Mr. Doug McVeigh, was in Brussels, Belgium, while I was in Bolivia, and he was attending the uh, conference, the ENCODE conference there. That's the uh, National Governmental Organization Council on Drugs and Development, which is a platform of NGOs that work for just and effective drug policies worldwide. Doug now has his own uh, digital recorder, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about technique, but I think you'll enjoy his presentation. In 1998, the UN General Assembly met in special session. They resolved to make the world drug-free within a decade. Recently, activists and organizers from the European Union and around the world met in Brussels, Belgium at the European Parliament to discuss an alternative to the UN's fanciful dreams. First, we have comments by Franco Corleone, a former Vice Minister of Justice in Italy and of drug policy reformer. Well, if uh, for the United Nations we had to adopt the rules for uh, public or private companies in 2008, we would have bankruptcy and the directors and CEOs would be fired and sent home. International conventions on uh, drugs would become archaeological pieces in museums, uh, just like the vases from the 15th century. The prohibition strategy that was launched uh, during the General Assembly of the United Nations uh, in New York in 1998 with an ambition slogan, a world without any drugs, we can do it, has been unsuccessful because uh, it has been impossible, because it was uh, wrong. Uh, but it gave a new impetus for the people who wanted to fight for the good against the evil. But the fighters against uh, uh, drugs uh, very well know that they cannot uh, win that uh, war that they started unilaterally, but they wanted to go on forever for questions of uh, power and financial resources. The narco uh, bureaucracy is based on a structure that was uh, created uh, based on the salvation of uh, the people and on the repression of uh, the poor people in uh, southern countries. Uh, fighting against uh, drugs has endangered the people and the environment in uh, Latin America and other drug-producing uh, countries. Uh, they have sent uh, uh, thousands and thousands of uh, innocent people to uh, jail. And if the situation is such, we have to ask ourselves and see why our sensible proposals cannot uh, win and are still minority proposals. Maybe it's because the forces of uh, prohibition is uh, dealing with uh, the guts of the people and not uh, the brains of the people. And it creates 
uncertainties and the fear of uh, the unknown. So it's a mixture of ignorance and uh, rhetorics. And we are possessed by the devil, and the devil is the substance. So uh, rhetorics and ignorance to the service of uh, uh, interests that cannot be uh, recognized. Uh, so, for too long, we have been defending our positions, and it's high time we said out loud that the Taliban's in our countries are fundamentalists in our countries, are the, the people who are the allies of the criminal mafia. Following are comments by Peter Cohen, the noted drug policy researcher from the Netherlands. I want to wind up on a little bit less pessimistic note and give a few proposals for what Europe could do. First, Europe could use its brains and say we will sit in Vienna and fall asleep and wait for the next ritual meeting. But in the meantime, we will fund some things that are useful. We will create, for instance, a 10 million euro budget and give 5 million over a 5 million period to researchers who create theories and then test them about why drug use levels in Europe are so diverse. Another proposal, we will spend 5 million euros in a five-year period to organize research that allows us to create quality criteria for official drug use data. We are no longer paying EMCDDA for making pretty lists of figures. We want good and, above all, comparative figures. So, for instance, we want criteria that predict how good a survey has to be to be published in these lists. Up till now, EMCDA basically adds layout to figures they receive from governments and put their layout in print and on the Internet. They have no say whatsoever in how national figures are created, nor about how the underlying research is done. They assume the data they receive from countries are comparable to each other, but they do not check it. And I know they are not. So this proposal is not about Vienna, but it is about Brussels. I propose that Europe should expand social scientific drug use research enormously. <coughs> I do not propose that Europe should spend a lot on brain research or pharmacological research related to illicit drugs because that would be subsidizing the already wealthy pharmaceutical industry. But, it, but Europe must promote research to better understand drug use in different cultures and why drug use levels are so different between and within European countries. That is useful. Up till now, no one understands why London uses more drugs than Paris and why Paris uses more drugs than Amsterdam, and why Amsterdam uses more drugs than Rotterdam, and why Rotterdam uses more drugs than Bremen, and why Bremen uses more drugs than Corfu. We want to know about drugs. It is very useful. It will, it will give us some guidance about what impacts drug use. And let me say that I think Europe should do useful things if it wants to neutralize some of our shame about its brainless ritual of going to Vienna 
to participate to participate in a crowd of mumbling gravestones. Thank you. Now, here are comments by one of the conference co-sponsors, member of the European Parliament for the Netherlands, Carolina Boutenweg. Um, let me say that, um, well, I, for me it is clear that the world we're living in is in a way less safe than the world is in 1998. Um, and I think that a war on drugs, as it is fought as a war, is really not very helping. Um, we see that people are being uh, um, uh, attacked. I, we see that, uh, that countries, uh, like we heard from Bolivia, for me that was a very important uh, um, um, uh, discussion here also. We see the effect on countries. We know, of course, the effect uh, on persons, uh, persons. We know also the effect it all has on our judicial uh, system. We know the effect it has on our police forces, that actually most of the police forces is now directed to fighting drugs rather than to fighting uh, of trying to catch uh, rapists or other people. I think that you specifically, uh, Doug McVeigh, uh, made um, uh, a presentation to also say that uh, a huge part of our law enforcement is wasting on fighting drugs, um, and with the result that not enough resources are available for crimes that really uh, disturb uh, our society. So I would like to thank you for that intervention. The war on drugs as it is fought, um, has in a way also, of course, helped terrorism. I mean, uh, we're going to, uh, to discuss terrorism very, uh, uh, very soon in the European Parliament, so maybe we also uh, introduce that as well as an, uh, as an argument. But it's true, because prohibition has turned also drug trade in a very lucrative business, um, and it's mainly profiting uh, uh, criminals. And we know there are links. I mean, let's not be naive. There are very clear links between the well-organized, the large-scale organized uh, um, criminal networks and terrorism organizations. Um, so I think that is something that we might also have to take up. I was very favorable on a plea I've heard, I think it was from Justo Catania, to try to uh, get uh, uh, Costa uh, off his seat. I think uh, we indeed should also fight for his resignation. I mean, we have asked in the parliament also sometimes questions about some of the things he said. One of the things he's, for example, said is that he wants to delete the concept of harm reduction from the official policy of the UNODC. And we've asked also the European Commission, like, what's your position on that? Because we, as European Commission, believe, the European Commission always said that we believe in harm reduction. And if then the big man of the UNODC is asking for it to be deleted, then what do we do as European Union? So I, I, I really believe it's the wrong man uh, um, in, in, in also the wrong organization, but at least the wrong man there for the post. So there I think that we should, on the basis of some evidence, some things he's done in the past, some things that uh, he's said, we should really ask for his uh, resignation. Um, then on, on, on the, the, the reform, I mean, we've heard some people to say, from, well, we really should look into the UN conventions. Others say, from, well, you know, it's a lost case. I mean, it's there. It cannot be treated, uh, changed. I know I was rapporteur in 2003 on the uh, European Parliament motion for reforming the UN Convention. And I have to say it was one of my biggest defeats, uh, but I only lost with one voice, one vote. I mean, on a parliament of more than 600 people at that time, you know, to one vote, that was really, that was a devastating blow for my ego, but also for the work, <laughs> to lose with one vote, I still can't stand it. Um, huh? You were more lucky, but you didn't, uh, you went a little bit less, I mean, you know that the com communists are always less uh, reformist than the Greeks. 
Um, but it might have been a better strategy. But one of the things that we've said there also was that we wanted to reform the UN Convention. And of that Parliament, I mean, you can say, well, you lost, but you can also say almost half of the Parliament was indeed in favor of reforming the UN Convention. So let's look at it also on the bright side sometimes. It was, yes, it was lost, but almost half, half of the people wanted it, so it's at least worth debating, as it is worth debating also for the present uh, uh, 2008 uh, com uh, conference. There, I've learned from the past that when we only start one year before, they are all going to say, yes, but the agenda has already been set, um, uh, set so we can't do anything. So even though it's, it looks very, you know, a bit early to start about it, I'm very pleased that you are having this conference also on this, because it's actually now the time to make uh, to put forward proposals for the 2008 agenda, and one of the things is indeed uh, to come up with an evaluation of the current policies. I was, um, um, I liked also what was written here in this book produced by you, uh, to say that actually we only need to add two words to the convention, and that is um, where it is now allowed to have production and trade of drugs in a, in a legal frame as long as you use it for medicine and scientific purposes, you can add and other purposes. Okay, three words, and other purposes. But I mean, that would allow at least uh, countries to act. Without it, we should also force upon other countries to change their national legislation, because I'm quite clear on that. I don't want other people to decide for my country that uh, you should legalize cannabis, and I don't want to also decide for the Swedish that they should legalize cannabis. It's up to the Swedes to do. I just don't want to be uh, forced to uh, criminalize something when I really don't believe uh, it is the right way forward. Some people have said, um, don't look at the UN for leadership policies in the hands of member states. Um, yes, I also believe so. I think it is up to us to prove, or to, to, to EU countries, to say um, that we want changes, but they should also be kind of, yeah, have a kind of civil disobedience to just go ahead with their policies and explain why they want uh, uh, to do that. I think one of the important things I also learned today is that it would be wise to import coca for other purposes uh, so that also the coca production, you know, can be, can be used for, for useful products. I think that is a plea that, that should not be... I mean, at least it's, it's a logical plea to have, you know, it, it, it's not Im immediately a very strange thing to ask for. So I think that is one of the things we should do also. And still look at the UN text. I'm not depressive. I think you really anyway should, should discuss that. I think you should take out cannabis also from the convention, because there I think we're clear that you cannot say that is the worst of the worst of all the drugs. Um, and I think we also should uh, come up with a more, a different way of looking at coca and ask in our countries to import coca for um, uh, other issues. I want to interrupt here to alert you to the fact this is indeed the Century of Lies show. Our good friend Doug McVeigh was in Brussels, Belgium, while I was in Bolivia, and he was kind enough to put together this show for our enjoyment, our edutainment. Meanwhile, across Europe, cannabis users and activists are forging their own paths. 
Martin Barroso represents a group called Pana. Pana is a cannabis social club which recently won the right in Spanish court to cultivate and distribute cannabis to its members. I'm Martin Barroso and I'm from Pana Cannabis Users Association and the president of the Cannabis Users Federation in Spain. We are 15 groups associations from different regions in Spain. Right on. Now, what, did, what is what is, Tell me a little bit about some of the projects that you're working on. The Cannabis Social Club, specifically. What, where is it at? What's what's happening? What is it? Uh, we started with collective public plantations in '94. Uh, the first experience was in Catalonia, and after that, we did some other experiences. And uh, with the exception of uh, Catalonia, the rest of experiences were success. We had no legal problems, and judges said that if we uh, harvested in a closed circuit for adult users with no profit, it should be legal. So we decided to create the first uh, users association. We could become, because in Spain consumption is depenalized since uh, 1974, so we could create a users association and to become a member, the condition is to be user or to have a medical need to become user. And uh, we, we produce uh, marijuana and little hash too for our members. We have, uh, in, in our case, for example, we were actually almost alone with uh, the coordination, but we were two coordinator gardeners, something like that, and uh, the rest of the people uh, works uh, in a concrete moment. We have also volunteers for some concrete works, but we have a, a kind of professional gardener to, to, take, uh, to look after the, the plant. And then we distribute expenses and marijuana in the proportion of each uh, uh, consumption. You must be uh, older than 18, you must be adult, and sign a declaration. Now that's how, that's uh, the system. And, and so if I understand correctly now, if you're a medical, if you, if you have a medical need, then you could join the club even though you hadn't been a cannabis user before. Yeah. But to join the club otherwise, you would actually have to have been a cannabis user before yeah. doing it the other way yeah. then you could join the, but, you, but you would not allow a person who had not tried the stuff just a first time That's, those, would be, those wouldn't be allowed to be in the club right? no because it should be promoting and promoting the illegal, illegal consumption is illegal in Spain it should be, could be a crime <laughs> and uh, we just are working with previous users and we think it's a kind of uh, harm reduction. We are very concerned about young youth use in Spain. The, uh, the youth consumption increased uh, 200% in the last 10 years. And uh, especially, we think it's especially risky under 16 because of the risk of uh, uh, psychic diseases. You know? So we, we are trying to limit the, the age of, of participants and one way is to be uh, previously a user and we think it's a kind of harm reduction because we are already users, we are buying with unknown quality in black market with expensive prices etc and 
we, now we can control the quality of the grass with the smoke and we can also choose different uh, ways of use. For example, we have uh, vaporizer to lead to medical uses which need vaporization and uh, we have tried in the past and will try in the future to, to do again oil or some kind of uh, cakes or something like that for all use and we try to get information etc so we are uh, harvesting but we are also preventing the conference ended with adoption of a declaration by the attendees following is Yup Yeoman coordinator of NCOD reading the declaration on, Nove on November 7, 2006, at the conference The Road to Vienna 2008 that took place in the European Parliament in Brussels, the following declaration has been agreed upon with the support of members of the European Parliament from two political groups, GUE, NGL and Greens, and representatives of more than 50 NGOs, as well as local and regional authorities from around Europe and beyond. Drug policies in Europe should be aiming at reducing, not at increasing harm. A system in which drugs are illegal generates a circle of armed conflicts, spread of diseases, repression of populations and individual citizens, organized crime, money laundering, violations of basic human rights and ecological destruction. Since 1998, the year in which the UN General Assembly special session in New York called for a global strategy to obtain a drug-free world in 2008, the failure of policies based on this assumption is proved every day at the level of citizens, of farmers living in coca and opium producing areas in South America and Asia, in jails, on dance floors, in coffee shops, in user rooms, but also in institutional corridors. Therefore, there is a need for a different drug policy. In the future, drug policies in Europe should be based on a bottom-up approach. By taking evidence as a basis for drug policies, biased and counterproductive approaches can be challenged and avoided. Today, harm reduction is embraced by many local and regional authorities in Europe as an effective approach to the most urgent health problems related to drug use. However, it is not yet recognized as one of the basic elements of drug policy. Still, many options to apply harm reduction measures are being jeopardized by national legislation and blocked by the international legislatory framework, the UN Conventions on Drugs. The European Union should promote the widest possible expansion of harm reduction programs, which have proven their undeniable results throughout Europe. Particularly in the Eastern European countries, there is an urgent need for these programs in order to reduce the spread of blood-borne diseases. Millions of Europeans are forced to break the laws of their country on a daily basis in order to provide themselves with cannabis. Today, the possession of cannabis is depenalized or tolerated in most of the EU member states as a consequence of the pragmatic attitude of most European citizens towards the use of cannabis. Nevertheless, cannabis remains an illegal drug and the activities that are needed to provide cannabis consumers, even for therapeutic purposes, are still taking place in an illegal environment.
Wherever governments try to control the cannabis market with repressive measures, this leads to a further increase of the role played by criminal organizations. Therefore, cannabis consumers in various European countries are offering an alternative option to control this market from both a public health and a public safety point of view. In countries where the cultivation of cannabis for personal use is depenalized, such as Spain, Belgium, Switzerland and the Netherlands, cannabis consumers are establishing cannabis social clubs, which are legal associations that organize a transparent, closed circuit of cultivation, distribution and consumption of cannabis by their adult members as a way to escape from the illegal markets. These clubs should become a useful experiment with a system which aims at regulating the market, facilitating environmentally and consumer-friendly ways of production and consumption. We call on local and national authorities in the European Union to cooperate with these initiatives. The call for depenalizing the coca leaf as a tool to facilitate an alternative for the illegal market to the millions of people involved in coca production in South America has recently been adopted by the current government of Bolivia under the presidency of Evo Morales. The international depenalization of the coca leaf could allow the export of coca tea and other beneficial coca derivatives and thus contribute to the worldwide recognition of the great nutritional, medicinal and cultural value of coca. This could help to reduce the dependence of coca farmers of the illegal economy and help to establish a sustainable economy based on renewable agricultural resources. We call on all national authorities in the European Union to cooperate with the Bolivian government and others on this issue. The efforts to reduce the cultivation of opium in Asia have not only failed, they have, only, they have also had counterproductive results. Currently, 40 times more opium is being produced in Afghanistan than before the U.S.-led invasion of that country in 2001. We call on the authorities of the European Union to start applying a different approach. Depenalizing the cultivation of opium and allowing the use of this substance for beneficial purposes, among others as a painkiller, could become one of the options to increase the life standards of opium farmers in Afghanistan, Burma and other countries. The meeting of the United Nations Commission on Narcotic Drugs in Vienna in 2008 will be the next opportunity to evaluate the anti-drug strategy that has been applied worldwide, worldwide in the past 10 years. We call on the European Union to do whatever is possible to ensure that this evaluation process will be genuine, looking at the impact of anti-drug strategies on the lives of affected citizens as well as the financial and other consequences for the law enforcement apparatus. Vienna 2008 should mark the start of a different drug policy. A minimum standard of tolerance should be established within the international legislatory framework which can facilitate the legal and political space for local, local regional and national authorities to apply policies that are not based on prohibition. People who cultivate and consume drugs are not less respectable nor less legitimate than people who don't. Together with other citizens who are directly affected by the drugs phenomenon, they should be consulted in the design of drug policies in order to make these policies more just and effective. Reporting from Brussels for the Drug Truth Network, this has been Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org.
I want to thank Doug McVeigh for this, his first uh, basically full show production for the Drug Truth Network. We'll talk about techniques, but I think he did a pretty good job. Next week on Century of Lies, we'll be bringing you some of the voices recorded on my uh, video machine at the uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy Convention in Washington, D.C. at the middle of last month. Uh, they'll include, I think, Howard Wooldridge of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, Mike Gray, the author of Drug Crazy, as well as a few others we can cram into 30 minutes. And I just wanted to give you a quick observation on the drug war. It's kind of like a toilet that's just so full of shift that it's flowing over and running out into the hallway and just about to soak into the good carpet. And maybe the stink will get so bad that everybody will notice and you loyal listeners can help us to bring this abomination to an end. And once again, I remind you that there is no truth, justice, logic, scientific fact, medical data. In fact, there is no legitimate reason whatsoever for this drug war to continue another second. We've been duped. The drug lords run both sides of this equation. Please do your part to help end this madness. Visit our website, endprohibition.org. Prohibido istak Ivalesco. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Dean Becker asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition. The Century of Lies. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston.